Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Your first coaches were your mom and dad who taught you how to communicate, tie your shoes, or play a simple game of catch. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoy my show, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. To donate, go to paypal.me slash Raphael. That's S-I-F-U-R-A-F-A-E-L. I'm trying to keep this podcast free of advertisements. Anything you can donate is greatly appreciated. Thank you. I really appreciate your support. My guest today is Scott Axman. Scott helps people discover, cultivate, and maintain their power. Scott, thank you so much for joining me on Coaching Call. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. No problem. So it's important for people to realize that our journeys throughout our life when we started from when we we were young till now is what made us who we are. Our thought process, our activities, our mindset, right? And one of the things that you talk about is mindset as as a martial artist yourself. So if you can take us back when you were a little guy and what did you realize motivated you into your journey today? Well, I, I started doing martial arts when I was 13 years old. My desire to do martial arts came from a real strong negative energy. Uh, I lost my brother in a mm. tragic car accident, and I wanted to learn how to fight so I could get revenge mm. on the guy who made that mistake. It's funny how life actually does that, right. because it tends to hand you something that seems so negative. Now that I'm able to look back at that, all of that anger, all of that revenge desire, I was putting into my training. Mm. You know, there was there was no other place to put it. And by putting in my training, I was doing really well. I was accelerating quickly and, you know, had a high motivation to be working and training every single day. So I didn't realize it at the time because I was in so much pain, so much uh, discomfort. Right, right. But, you know, looking back, that's how life works. It, it gives you some of these hard lessons. And those lessons usually have an energy in them that you can utilize to your advantage. Right. It's it's a martial arts term that I, I believe I coined it. It's called oppositional harmony, where whatever the opposition is, you don't resist it. You don't go, I wish it didn't happen. You don't mm-hmm. put yourself in a position against it at all. You just say, where's the opportunity in this? How am I going to use this? That's how you really find that harmony. Mm. So that, that was the useful aspect of my martial arts training to find that concept that there's always a benefit. Right. If you if you think about it in the bigger picture, and, and I am sorry that you lost your brother at such an early age, but in thinking about it, would you say that your brother's still part of your life? Absolutely. Because it's that energy from him that propelled you to do everything you've done and, and what you're doing today. So would you say, uh, in retrospect, that your brother's still with you? No, it's, it's so funny because the day that he died, we, we were brothers, you know, that mm. brothers bust each other's butts. That's, that's how you talk. Oh, of course. And it was so funny because he left signs with the family that I fully believed that something in him knew that this was his last day on earth. Really? When we woke up, when I woke up and I could morning shithead, you know, that kind of thing. He didn't respond. He didn't engage. He didn't act like we normally would mm. as brothers. He, he just calmly smiled like he was glad to see me. And giggled as if, you know, he's going to miss this type of thing. He left pictures underneath his pillow of my uncle, my grandfather, and my father with him, their arms around each other laughing. And that's not something he would normally do. It was just like some, some real interesting cues. And my spiritual belief is that we teamed up and made the decision that this was going to be our life, that he was going to live 16 years 
and then leave. Mm. And that was going to give a whole bunch of other lessons that we needed to learn. That's my personal belief on the whole aspect. So you, you took the negativity and you actually ran with the negativity without realizing that that anger, that frustration, that grief you were going through was actually going to lead you in the right path along the way. Yeah. Your brother was guiding you all along. I, I do believe that. I think that it was a plan, the two of us together. This is how we're going to develop this energy because I was training at the martial arts academy three to four hours a day, every single day. Hmm. If they, if they opened on Sunday, I would have been there, but they were only open Monday through Saturday. So that's all that I was there. Mm -hmm. And to have that kind of motivation, that doesn't come if you're just an, you know, average kid going through average stuff at 13 years old, I wouldn't have been that motivated to be there every single day, three to four hours a day. But the the anger and the desire for revenge was really the fuel. So you took this revenge and, and you used it and to develop yourself, basically, right? And you ha- did you ever have an opportunity to face the person that caused your brother to die? Not in a face-to-face situation, but, but I had a unique scenario. The, the fact that I was training so intently, uh, my instructor, his name is Greg Silva, and he... he guided me to competition. He's like, look, you're working really hard. I want you to compete. I want you to go up against some other people. And then I was doing really well in competition by the age of 15. He's like, you're under challenge. You got to start fighting in the adult division. Mm. So he was really pushing me and guiding me, you know, utilizing that energy to go to the next level. And I did really well in competition. He goes, you know what? We normally don't let people test early, but master Parker is going to be coming down. We'd like to be an opportunity to test early for your black belts. So I was, you know, I'm beaming. This, this guy was my role model. I read all of his books. I watched all of his movies. Right. I was so excited to meet him and to be able to test in front of him. It was a real honor. That test was, at that moment, the hardest thing that I had ever endured in my life. Uh, I broke my hand on the board break. Uh, my ankle was taped together to, from sparring session. Uh, I was bruised and bloody all over the place. And I was absolutely loving life. Every minute of it. Exactly. I I was really into this entire concept. Back then we didn't have mats that we trained on. We're still doing takedowns on on plywood floors, you know, just some some real old school, great stuff. Mm. At the um, end of the entire test, uh, Master Parker, we had like a little pizza party, a little celebration. I'm sitting on the love seat next to Kevin Sullivan. And I don't know if you ever met Master Parker, but he is a big presence, not just his personality. He's a big guy. His fingers are like carrots. You know, he's just this <laughs> big, massive uh, dude. So we're sitting there and he decides to sit between us and puts his arms around us like this and just starts telling stories. And at that moment, I really felt that I was a family member in this martial arts academy, that I belonged, mm. that I was the youngest guy there, but I'm with all these other tough men you know, men that I would never want to have to fight. Mm -hmm. I respect them. I honor them and I fear them. And I'm a part of that tribe now is really, really a blessing that feeling. Well, uh, on the way home that night, I'm driving and I have this, you know, I call it the autopilot feeling like you're supposed to go one way, but you end up going the the same way that you go to work type of thing. And as I'm doing this, my car drifts and my side view mirror hits a mailbox. So I get out, I check the mirror, mirror is okay. I check the mailbox and it says Patrick Cody on it. This is the guy who killed my brother. At my black belt test, in the back of my mind, when I started training, that's what I was thinking. I'm going to get my black belt, I'm going to master this craft, and I'm going to beat the ever-living crap out of the guy who did this to my brother. Mm -hmm. So I'm exhausted at this point after that test, but suddenly I find the energy, okay, I'm going to face this guy. So I start to walk up to his door. There's these overgrown pine pine trees that I'm walking through. And as I get through them, I look up, I see this absolutely gorgeous New England sky, just, you know, billions of stars. And then I'm looking at his door and it it felt like I was there for quite a while. I'm studying the the three steps that are crumbling and the dirty screen that I just have to knock on in order to get this thing going. And I'm trying to like get myself fired up for this. Mm. I'm asking myself, where's the energy? Where's the anger? Where's all that passion? Where's all that hatred? Where I was holding on to it for so long, where'd it go? And I realized it was gone. But actually, a better word was it was healed. Mm. That feeling of relief gave me the power to forgive Patrick at that moment. You know, he made a mistake. That, that's really what it came down to. He fell asleep at the wheel. He made a mistake. Mm-hmm. We all make them. Right. And to feel that relief 
and that release. If I never got to that point of release, I know my my adult life would be that of a criminal or a thug or a gangbanger or something like that. That was just the road that I was going when I was uh, 12, 13 years old. But by getting to that point, that emotional healing really was the foundational point that I needed to become a a quality martial arts instructor that had this as a profession, not as a hobby. Mm -hmm. So in retrospect, you realize that it wasn't worth going to knock on that door. It wasn't worth you confronting this gentleman, Patrick. There was no... Like people ask me about this, like, why didn't you hug it out with him or anything like that? There, there was no desire mm-hmm. to interact with Patrick ever again. Right. That, that part of my life was just, it was water under the bridge. And that's what real healing is. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't be healed. And I mean this, I healed at that moment. Not one second ever did I have any more anger towards the guy who killed my brother. It was 100% healed. I have a lot of clients that they they come and I always ask them this, are you healing or are you healed? Mm -hmm. And they'll often say I'm healed, but then they still continue to complain about the situation. You're not healed then. You're healing. It's a big, big difference. Mm -hmm. And that's what I mean. That moment that I felt all of that empty out of me, there there was no need to talk to him. Mm -hmm. There was no need to sue anybody. There was no need to hit a heavy bag out of anger. There was nothing left. It was 100% healed. Mm -hmm. I guess it's kismet, you can say, that you actually didn't realize you drove to this gentleman's house and and you became healed the minute you walked through those trees. Everything you were working towards, it was that moment of you were healing yourself without realizing it. And, and you know, you still had that anger and, and probably through your training and your fighting and, and because you were fighting with these people, you probably were healing yourself without realizing it because you were getting your anger out. You were hitting the bag out. Who knows how many hours and hours and hours you probably hit the bag for, right? Exactly. And, and letting that anger out and, and not really hurting anyone in the process. And actually, instead of hurting, you were healing. And, you know, that, that's an amazing story. It's amazing, even better that you recognized it and you realized what you went through and, and what all your achievements came to because of that. Well, one of the things that I was struggling with when I was 13 is I had all that anger Mm -hmm. and I would let it out at all the wrong times. I'd let it out at church. I'd let it out at school. I'd let it out on the kids in the neighborhood. Mm. And my parents were really struggling because they believed that I was a good kid, but they didn't have any reference points because I just kept getting in trouble. Mm -hmm. And initially they were massively resistant to martial arts. They're like, we are no way given this temper ball, the opportunity to learn how to be really good at violence. We don't want that at all. But if they didn't give me that resource of, cause, cause anger, anger is a step up from depression. Mm. A lot of people don't understand this. When you're depressed, when you feel worthless in your life, that's the lowest energy. You commit suicide from that low point. Mm-hmm. Anger is actually an improvement. It's, it's your soul saying, at least you're taking some control and not sitting there helpless. At least you're smashing the glass right now. That's not where you want to stay because anger doesn't feel good either. Mm-hmm. But at least it's a step out of depression. And what would happen is I would release this anger in gym class, get yelled at from the gym coach because I'm being too aggressive and I would go back to depression. Mm. I would let this anger out during my youth group you know, wrestling with a kid on the ground. And then that would come back and back to depression because I'd get in trouble. But when I started training with Master Silva, he's like, go ahead, hit that. Ah, I'd let it all out. He goes, wow, that's really good. Do it again. And all of a sudden Mm -hmm. I had this healthy resource for the anger. And that's the only way that I elevated to a level of calm or at least of poise. You know, my, my, my best meditation I ever did came after a training session where I was preparing for one of the toughest professional fights that I ever trained for. Mm-hmm. It was a four hour training session. I was completely soaked head to toe. I had physically no energy. I didn't have the energy to tie my shoes. I left my feet barefoot and I sat outside the door of the dojo, just leaned up against the wall. And because there was nothing left in me, my mind completely relaxed. And I had one of the best meditations that I've ever experienced. Matter of fact, that was the first time I ever meditated. Mm-hmm. Not because I was trying to, because I accidentally <laughs> ran into it because I had all this busy activity going through my mind 
of, you know, focusing and, and, and sparring that once my mind just was like, okay, I'm tapping out. I got nothing left and I can relax. I realized how powerful meditation could be. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you need the, that resistance, that opposition, so that you can find the harmony. Right, right. So you didn't realize when you went to train with Greg Silva, who's a giant in the martial arts industry, who he was, 13 years old. You, you don't care who he is. Little did you know that you're training with one of the giants in our industry. How does that make you feel now? Honored and very, very lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I remember when I was thinking about doing martial arts, there were several different schools that we could have went to. And Greg Silva gave everybody these little window stickers that they put on their car that just said East West Karate. And I saw them all over the place. And there was just something about it where I'm like, nope, that's where I have to go. Because my parents were like, where do you want to go? There's three different schools. Do you want to do this one, this one, or East West? I'm going to East West. Are you sure that one's kind of far? I'm like, nope, that's the one I want to go to. And the second I met him, like you said, he is a giant in the industry. I knew he was a giant. The second I met him, Mm. I knew this guy was, yes, sir, whatever you tell me to do, I am going to do. I'm going to listen to everything that you say because I could instantly tell that he was a killer, that he could break me in half and I better, you know, obey and behave. But at the same time, I knew that he loved me. It was the way that he looked at me and the way that he looked at his students, that he had genuine compassion for them Mm -hmm. and honored them regardless of what they were going through. He didn't just honor his athletic students who could win trophies. You know, he honored every single person that trained in that academy. And it was really, really powerful experience. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you did very early on is you actually owned your own business at the age of 18. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't even know how to open a business in their Mm thirties, but you accomplished it at 18. And obviously you didn't open up an engineering business. You opened up a martial arts school and, and you followed your passion. What prompted you to not, you know, to not pursue other avenues, but to actually follow your martial arts? Um, more pain. Uh, my, my father, <laughs> my, my father owned a small machine shop. Mm. It was a little factory and they, they weren't rich people, mm-hmm. so they couldn't afford daycare. So every summer since I was in kindergarten, I worked in that factory. I started in the shipping room making boxes and I ended up running these uh, uh, New Britain Gridley bar machines where I would set them up and all that stuff by the time I was 16. And I hated every second of it. I Mm. hated working in a factory. Mm. I did not want to do this the rest of my life. And I hated school too. I was, I love learning. I hate school. Mm. So I knew I wasn't going to college. I knew I didn't want to work for my dad and I knew I love martial arts. I didn't know anything about business. My mom taught me how to balance a checkbook at the kitchen kitchen table. That was the only business training I ever got. <laughs> and uh, I went to uh, the landlord. You know, a lot of people just turned me down because I was only 18. One guy gave me a shot, but, you know, there was no negotiation on his deal. You're paying maximum rent. There's no way around it. There's no free months. There's no nothing. You got to make this work. And the, the, the first year of my business was awful. It was absolute torture just because I was trying to do so many things. My, my father required that I go to college and held a full-time job as well as, you know, I could play karate, whether you would say you could play karate on your own time, but you're either going to go to college or you're going to have a full-time job. So I was doing both of those things. And then I met this, another incredible mentor. I don't even know her name. It was literally the first day of my semester. And what had happened is after a year of trying to keep up this schedule, I was so exhausted that I slept through Sunday. I went to bed mm. Saturday night, I didn't wake up until Monday the next day. And I was, I didn't believe my mom when she said that it's Monday, you got to go mow lawns again. And she saw like the, how it crushed me. Mm. So when I was behind the lawnmower that day, I'm like, I got to do something about college. I got to figure this out. My dad will kick me out if I quit college, but I can't do this anymore. I'm just too tired. Right. So I went to my first college professor with my business plan, which was stupid. It was one page with a bunch of things on what I would do to get a hundred students. Okay. And I gave it to him and I said, if I get 100 students, give me an A. But if I get 99 or less, then give me an F. But I can't come to your class anymore. I'm going to prove that I can run a business. But if if I don't come to class, my dad will kick me out of the house and I got no place to live. He goes, that is the biggest joke that I've ever heard to get out of one's work. If you're not in every class, if you're even sick once, I'm going to give you an F. So I was pretty discouraged by it. Mm. But then I knew that my next class, I was just too tired. I was too exhausted. 
And I went to my next professor. Now she wasn't a college professor. She owned seven Ace Hardware stores and decided to teach marketing to people in community college just because she wanted to give back. When I gave her the same speech, she said, get out and never come back. You got passion for what you're doing. That's everything. The answer to everything that you need is in the library. Have the courage to ask the question and go look up the answer. You don't need me. You don't need college. Go build your business. She continued to talk to me for about four or five minutes. And I swear it was the best Tony Robbins motivational workshop I've ever been in. And it was just a few minutes of time. And what it really came from is the way that she felt, the way that she felt about business. Mm -hmm. She was an entrepreneur in the, in the marrow of her bones. And that came across. And then I started approaching that my business with her spirit. Before I met her, I would do cold calling via the phone book. My name's Scott. I just opened a martial arts school. You want to learn karate? Right. That was my, my speech. Uh, I hand out flyers door to door and I put in these little ads in the Yankee flyer. It's kind of like the old school Craigslist that went in the community. Mm -hmm. And after doing that for a year, I only had 20 something students. I think it was 23. Well, after that speech, I decided that I was going to do the world's greatest demo that anybody's ever seen. And I started telling my students that this is what we're doing. The 23 students, we're going to put together the world's greatest demo that anybody's ever seen. And I was so excited about it. So passionate about it. My students were excited and passionate. And I remember the night before the demo, I was a little nervous. I'm like, I didn't do anything for marketing. I'm a little scared. Mm. I hope people actually show up to my demo. Well, my students were so excited about it that they packed the house. It was standing room only. I had benches that went around the school. The parents were sitting on the bench. There would be people sitting in between their legs and there would be people standing over their shoulders mm. because there were so many people in that room. That one demo took my school from 23 students to 119. Mm. And it was all because of the energy that I got from that woman. And then, you know, I continued on with that. The, the town that I ran my first school in had 700, um, I'm sorry, said 7,800 people in it. And I had over 700 students in my academy. 10% of the town trained in my academy. Oh, that's incredible. Your realization of, wow, I didn't market. Thank God you showed your passion to your, your students and they are the ones that marketed for you. Well, yeah, there was just, it was the passion. I got them excited about it. I never told them, tell your friends or anything like that. They just really felt what I felt. Just like with when I met that professor, she didn't tell me this is how you build a business. These are the nine things you have to do. She just changed the way that I felt about business. And then I figured out the activity that I was going to take mm -hmm. from there on in. And of course, you know, as I, my, my sales pitch during that demo was like, hey, if you want to train with me, it's $89. Leave a check on the desk. That, th there was no sales training. I was an 18 year old kid. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. Of course, I developed those skills as I was building my business, mm -hmm. realizing it's way better to know how to market than to just have the passion alone. Right. It's way better to know how to manage people than just have the passion to teach alone. Mm -hmm. It's way better to, to know sales strategies and skills from people that had this as a career. They had to do this day in, day out. So they learned what worked and what doesn't with the passion. Now you're going to have a much, much better business. I wouldn't have been able to build that from hundred to 700 without those skills. But I'll tell you this, you could have the skills and not the passion and you got nothing. Mm -hmm. you, know, if you could have all the greatest tools in the world, but if you don't have the passion for doing woodworking and making those tools do something for you, yeah. it's not going to matter. Well, yeah, it's also like, you know, you could be the greatest martial artist that doesn't make you the best instructor either. Because there is a lot of martial artists out there who are really, really good, but they should never teach. <laughs> right. I, well, they have. I don't think they have passion for teaching. Mm -hmm. You know, I've met plenty of these guys. They have passion for hitting. Mm -hmm. uh, passion for hitting and passion for teaching are not the same thing. You know, that was the big difference with Master Silva. His passion was not martial arts. His passion was people mm. and and building them from the inside out. That's what made him a giant in the industry. Because you know, and the, the cool thing about Mr. Silva, I trained with Billy Blanks. I trained with Dream Fanet. I trained with Joe Lewis. I trained with all these icons in the industry mm -hmm. because he would have them come to the school as a guest instructor and never once that he'd be like oh i'm nervous that this guy billy blanks who's a, a better fighter than greg silva he wasn't nervous about having him in there right. he's like this is a resource but because he cared about his students so much he knew that he had nothing to fear by bringing in these outstanding martial artists into the academy 
and you know he did it with tons of people uh joe palonzo the list goes on i mean i don't even remember some of the who who would you say you have as as your current mentors or coaches currently i did hire tony robbins to figure out how he coaches Mm -hmm. i thought that that was a real powerful thing his his process see the only thing that i i don't do what tony does is is he'll do some basic movements you know the power clap and things like that to get your energy up Mm -hmm. When I went to his first seminar, I'm like, I love this curriculum, but you know, the power stuff, power clap stuff feels a little fake to me. It feels a little animated. It's if I want to feel powerful, I'm going to throw kicks and punches. Yeah. That's martial arts. You know, mm-hmm. you want to feel like you could overcome adversity spar for a little while. Oh, yeah. I, I just thought martial arts was a, a much better vehicle for changing your emotional state than just pretending or dancing or things like that. I don't have passion for the dancing. So the way that I run my school, I, I actually, I say this up front. It's a personal development academy. If you're just here for self-defense, you're going to be better served by going to a different school. Mm. This is a personal development academy. We want you to heal. We want you to become a more powerful person. You're going to learn emotional self-defense while you learn self-defense. Mm. So when I have a client, and just yes, uh, Wednesday, I was working with a, a client, and she was just frustrated about what's going on with technical stuff. She was trying to solve some technical issues on her computer. You know, I got to get this thing going and that's not her skill set. And the way that she was talking was defeated. You know, this is impossible. I can't do this. This is so frustrating. So instead of trying to dig into the technical problem, I got her up and we started doing martial arts. And the whole key was just to get her into a powerful mindset. This feeling that I can do things. Look, she's a little tiny, you know, 118 pound girl. So I'm showing her how to push me over. Okay. This is how you generate the leverage to knock over a bigger guy. And after she figured it out and actually got it, she, wow, I could figure this stuff out. Now from that mindset, if I can figure things out, I'm like, now get your laptop up. And she solved the problem in three minutes. Hmm. The problem for her was not understanding the technical aspect. It's the mindset of, I can't solve this. Right. It's like going to French class going, I hate French. Right. You're never going to learn it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I try to do with my students. I just, I find out what emotion they're going through. Where do they need to shift that? And then I help them shift that with the movements, excuse me, the movements that we do or the training. Mm-hmm. That's also the, the strategies that I learned. Master Silva had me reading personal development books since the age of 13, but he was smart. He disguised it. He goes, you want to be a top athlete? Because he knew, knew that, that was the only thing I wanted. I wanted to be a world champion fighter. You want to be a world champion, you got to get your head right. Here, read Ogmangino. Here, read Zig Ziglar. Here, read, the, you know, it's just constantly feeding me this material. Right, right. So I, I realized that there's some really great philosophy. I get most of my strategies from the people that founded Western civilization. We're talking about the Marcus Aurelius, uh, Epictetus, these great Romans, and also the founding of this this country, America. Mm-hmm. The uh, Wallace Waddles, the, the Think and Grow Rich, those kind of time elements. I take those concepts. That's what I teach for personal development through my martial arts training and through the book. People don't realize that when they're coming to you, they're not just going to learn punching and kicking. They're going to get a whole slew of coaching that they never bargained for. And it's a bonus, right? When you think about it, because it's it's more, you know, maybe they said, oh, I want to learn karate. I want to learn how to punch and kick. I want to learn, you know, this or that. Well, I, might, well, I want my child to learn this stuff. But when they walk into your academy, it's a lot more than they bargained for. A lot more than they would in, in any other academy. I, I I think it's it's not so much unknown. Matter of fact, when we get our leads from our website and when we have referrals, they always tell us what they're going through. Mm. We have one student who weighs over 300 pounds. He goes, look, I've tried to lose weight my entire life. I got to shift my mindset. That's why I want to train here. Mm. He didn't want to train here because he wants Krav Maga or mixed martial arts. He wanted to train there to shift his mindset. Right. I had another guy that just started up. He goes, I just went through a divorce. I'm, I'm panicking. You know, I feel lonely. This sucks. Mm. I want to get control of my mindset. That's why they're coming. When parents come in, they're, they're coming in with that up front. Uh, last month, we had somebody come in and go, I just want to learn Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's why I want to train here. I'm like, we're a personal development academy. I'm going to refer you to Easton. He's down the road from us. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu academy. If you just want Brazilian jiu-jitsu and not personal development, you should go see him. Mm-hmm. So we've lost students because of it. Right. But I don't mind that because my passion is not, I, I love Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's not my passion. Right. My, 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 my passion is helping people overcome the aspect of life that's hitting them, mm-hmm. not some other guy. Do you 
follow in your teacher's footsteps in a way? Do you bring different instructors to your school? Yeah, I've always done that. At this point right now, I don't teach the physical martial arts in classes anymore. I've got a set of instructors that are below me that I'm trying to groom for their own professionalism. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I started running the business because I wanted myself to become a millionaire. I wanted to be successful and financially independent. I've achieved those goals. Now it's my goal to get my students up to that level where I want to train a hundred millionaires before I die. I want to train them in professionalism and in the mindset training so that they can do that. So I've completely systemized my school. I've stepped out from the day-to-day teaching. If people work with me, they work with me on -on one-on-one coaching because they're going through a tough situation. Like, you know, they just lost a family member or things like that. Mm -hmm. And I get them on, on track, on pace and moving with momentum towards their goals in six training sessions or less. That's what I I do for activity right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Other than that, it's just about building my business, but building my team so that they can build the business. How how do you find your team? Because that's a a key element to being successful as a martial arts instructor, especially now that you stepped away from the actual teaching. How do you find your team? Um, The same way that I invested in real estate. I know a lot of people will brag about their resume, but I've written over a hundred real estate deals that fell through, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. I've had two foreclosures on, under my belt. And it's because of those life lessons. You know, I've lost thousands of dollars on real estate deals. Mm-hmm. It's because of those life lessons that now I own apartment buildings. It wouldn't have happened. You know, everybody wants to say the apartment building, that's cool. You got cash flow, that's fun. But they got to realize, well, there's this pain. Well, I've trained, attempted to train over a hundred instructors in my career. You know, I started you know, going through lists. Look at this. And I've got three that are still with me. Mm. So, you know, I failed over 90 times trying to train instructors to have this as a career. But now I've got three that are really, really solid. And I continue to do that. I don't, you know, I love training instructors. I love trying to get them to that level. But that's the way it is. You know, you get out there, you wobble, you fail, and you keep figuring it out because you, you wobble and you fail. Mm-hmm. Well, it's important when, when you're coaching someone especially because you're trying to lift them up is that they're open to the coaching that they're there's they they're willing to submit to a better way a, a different way to change their mindset and i think that you know you you say you failed 99 or 90% or 90 uh people but you've actually just found a different formula maybe and you when you first started with your first instructor you probably are doing things differently now and you've become a better instructor yourself because of those failures, right? Yeah, I, I forced a lot more when I first started teaching. You know, I want you to become an instructor and I brought that energy to the training. It doesn't matter what I want. Mm. It matters what the client wants. And, you know, I'm working with this one girl <clears throat> right now. When she first started with me, she started, and this was her phrase, if I don't change my life, I'm going to commit suicide. Mm. I'm that close. And it doesn't even bother me one bit. I heard about you. I have no desire to do martial arts, but if you can help me, just know where it is. Mm. So I started working with her and by the, the second training session made complete turnaround. This is one of the most happy people, you know, now mm. she's opening her own business before then she, she was an employee. She hated where she works. I asked her when we first started training, would you like to own your own business? She said, hell no, there's no way I want to do that. I don't want the responsibility. It's too much pressure, blah, blah, blah. We met on Wednesday and we were going through her business plan because she's investing $100,000 in a mobile dog grooming uh, business. Mm. Now, what's kind of interesting is when she first started, she said, I have no desire to learn martial arts, zero. I've never wanted to kick or punch. I don't care about self-defense. I don't even know why I'm here, to be honest with you. And just before we were doing that session, she says, I want my black belt. Mm. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of cool. You know, when you find out what, what is really making the person tick it is, and you help them in that way, that's how they learn. Wow. I want this to be more of my life as opposed to just self-defense. You know, mm-hmm. um, the people that just want self-defense, they're probably not going to be lifers. The, Greg Silva had 1300 school uh, students in one school. Those people aren't still training. It's more the people like me that saw this as a personal development thing that I have to have it as a part of my life. Mm -hmm. Likewise, you know, uh, for me, I mean, if I had all my students who ever trained with me, I mean, I would need like a couple of buildings. Yeah. But when you think about it, everybody has a place in life and everybody who you encounter has a 
you can use them in a way and not in a negative way. When I say use, I don't mean it that in a negative way, but as to propel you right to your next step, to your next endeavor, to helping you. Because if, like I said, when you started with your first instructor that you were training, they propelled you to be better. They propelled you to understand how to teach better. Mm-hmm. And and you have three now that are rock solid. But had you maybe had the knowledge you have today, back when you started, you may have more. Maybe not. But, right, we don't know that. So, right. But I think that the more we do something and the more we pay attention to what we're doing, when we're present and we analyze everything, I think that, you know, just, just to demonstrate the fact that you have three solid people and, you know, you're comfortable that you actually don't have to teach because they, they took the pill, right? The matrix. <laughs> what pill do you want to take, right? <laughs> are you in or you're out? Right. So they, they actually realized that, hey, Scott is going to actually help me change my life. And he actually wants to see me succeed as a martial artist, as a business owner down the line. So, yes, I'm going to swallow that Scott pill. Well, I, I also think that it would be a mistake for me to say out of all those 100, I, I don't I, I shouldn't use the word failure because. Right. I agree. Now that I think about it, when, when Facebook came out, so many of those people reached out to me and said, you know what? I realized like Rusty was one of my instructors. He, he realized he wanted to own his own business only because he taught with me. Mm. You know, he learned the teaching from me. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to teach martial arts as his business. Right. He did auto body repair, but I helped him go. I want to be a small business owner. I had Kate who reached out to me. She goes, you know what? From working with you, I realized my mission is to be a mom. And that was her mission. She learned that working with kids that she loved it and she wanted to put all of her attention into her children. Brandon was one of my uh, instructors. He reached out, he goes, I want to thank you because I realized I wanted to be a school teacher because I work with you. You know, Mm -hmm. all these people that I was trying to give them tools to become a martial arts instructor and they found their passion from that in, in a variety of different ways. So I don't think any of them are really failures. It's just, that's the way the game is played. You, you, you got to be willing to train a lot of people in order to get the one that goes, you know what? Martial arts, under competitive edge, under you. That's my mission. That's my goal. Let's do it. Right. Yeah. When, when we do train people to become martial arts instructors, it, a lot of people don't realize the many hats we have to wear mm-hmm. because we're not only teaching them social skills. We're teaching them how to market. We're teaching them how to clean. Mm-hmm. We're teaching them how to have people skills. We're teaching them so many, they have to wear so many hats. A a martial arts school owner who has been around for some time wears so many hats. And for for someone who wants to even learn how to run a business, it would be a great advantage to get under the tutelage of a martial arts instructor and say, you know what, maybe this is a career for me, Mm -hmm. or maybe this is just a stepping stone so I can learn all these fundamental values and have all this on a tool belt that I can keep adding all these tools because, yeah, maybe I do want to run a business, but how can I run a successful business if I'm going to run it to be productive? Who, who can help me? And a lot of people don't realize that a martial arts school is not just, hey, that guy's wearing his pajamas yeah. and he's punching and kicking and saying, Kia, you know, <laughs> and a lot of people don't realize the many hats a martial arts instructor, if they own the business, has to wear. I, I actually think that the, the martial arts, because I, I mentored under Greg Silva, you know, when he opened his school in Florida that had over a thousand students, I was there before it opened, putting ceiling tiles up mm. there and teaching intros with him. You know? So I, I had the opportunity to work with one of the world's greatest, but from an apprenticeship, not from a college degree. Mm -hmm. I wish that apprenticeships became another thing, especially now with college debt being, I mean, totally insane. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely insane that you have to pay $50,000 a year to get an education. That just doesn't make any sense to me. And it's not even good education as far as hands-on, let's apply, let's make sure that this works. That's the advantage of being under a martial artist because there is no formal college education of it. It's here's how you do it. Try to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. You didn't do it hundred percent perfect. These are the adjustments you have to make. Do it again. 
If you wanted to, you know, learn woodworking, that would be something you should apprentice in. If you want to be a plumber, you should be apprentice. Um, because w- with my parents, you know, they had so many legal issues with losing my brother and all that. Mm-hmm. I, at the time I said, I wanted to be a lawyer. So they knew a bunch of lawyers. So one of them was like, come work in my office. See if you like it. I worked there one day said, <laughs> I'm not going to be a lawyer. <laughs> right. So, you know, having those, those opportunity to have apprenticeships, that's real, real power. And, you know, if anybody listen to this, they have teenagers that might not want to go to college, might not know what they want to do, put them in a martial arts program, mm-hmm. see if they're willing to help out some of the kids, you know, some of the smaller kids, because it's a really great life experience for leadership for them mm-hmm. to have that opportunity to do that in their teens. Right. I'm sure you have teens that help you teach and stuff, or at least right. help around the academy. They are getting world-class education when they do that. They do. It's also, you know, and like I said before, it's that not everybody's cut out to be an instructor, but everybody can become a leader. So you have two two type of people. You have the, the one that's a follower and the one that's a leader. And I always tell my students, I said, in order for you to become a great leader, you have to become a great follower first. Right. You have to follow those people who've done it. And that's why getting a coach, right? is so important because that coach has done it. They know it. They know the ins and outs. Mm-hmm. They're going to shortcut that for you. Instead of you having to waste four years of your life, they might give it to you in a couple of months and, and all the insight. Right. And so even having a mentor or having someone to really be able to talk to and, and let them know, you know what you're going through. And a martial arts instructor definitely is able to do that. But also, let's let's not confuse that every martial arts instructor is going to be able to do that because some of them are only in it as a self-servant. Mm-hmm. So some of them, are, they're too big for themselves or for anybody else to talk to. And it, and that's one of the things I think that is uh, is wrong with our industry. There are a lot of people with huge egos. They walk into the room and they expect everybody just to look at them only. And, and that's a shame. Because we're all human beings, right? Yeah. You and I, we bleed the same, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and if we had a fight, one of us is going to win. <laughs> we don't know who until we fight. So the whole thing is when I walk into a martial arts room, I work into actually a convention, and I see all these great martial artists and all these people, and I don't see myself any bigger than anyone else. And when I see like a, a celebrity martial artist, I just look at them as another person. I'm not, you know, I'm not like, oh my gosh, this, I'm like, hey, how you doing? You know, I'm going to talk to them like I would talk to anyone else. And a lot of people need to get off their pedestals and let's unite the martial arts world to become bigger because we're very small. We think we're big. We're tiny. We are. We're tiny. Yeah. So, and we're tiny for what we could be because if, as just a self-defense problem, it's going to stay a tiny market. Okay. Mm-hmm. If it, if people do shift more and, and I don't mean about the FDR, you know, the focus, discipline, respect, clean your room, eat your vegetables. Right. That's what most of the industry has done a good job promoting. Okay. We're good for kids to get them to be more disciplined, to do their chores, et cetera. We got to get people to see, no, this is a personal development course. Mm-hmm. That's why you start training in martial arts to find out about yourself to find out where are your flaws, where are your character strengths, what are the character strengths that you want to develop to get to where you want to go. You know, what the best, by far the best lesson Mr. Silver ever gave me. You want to be a black belt? Really? You do? Good. Act like it now. Mm. Yeah. And if you apply that to everything that, do, that you do, you want to be a millionaire? Do you? Really? You want this bad? Act like it now. You want to be a great father? You, really? That's important to you? You want to do it? Good act like it now. And too many times people will put this big thing, you know, I got to get my degree. I got to do this. I got to do that before I could act like a black belt Mm -hmm. before I could, you know, be a millionaire. No, you act like a millionaire. Now you do that now. And then you attract it. That I learned on the martial arts floor. That's by far number one lesson. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's a very similar lesson that I teach my students. I'm like, act like a black belt. When you go to school, act like a black belt. Oh, but I'm not a black belt. Are you? You can be now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's the same message. But we all need to deliver that same message to all our students. I ask my students all the time, who wants to be a black belt? They raise their hand. 
And then the ones that don't raise their hand, I'm like, that's okay. You don't have to be a black belt. What do you want to be? So because not everybody wants to be that because mm-hmm. not everybody has the same idea of what a black belt is. And, and a lot, it's been misconstrued as to what a black belt is, right? A, a lot of people see a black belt as like, oh, they're a fighter, they're this, they're that. But when we think about a black belt is, is having the confidence mm-hmm. to be able to go anywhere, do anything, say anything, to have the confidence to be bigger and, and, than we actually are and, and extend our hands, extend our help to other people. And a lot of people don't see that. And, and, and as a community, we have to step up and we have to show how much we can be and how much more we can be. Right. And, you know, I'm glad that you and I connected because I know that our connection is, is going to help us propel other people to, to engage, to be more, right? Because that's what mindset is. You can't do this alone. Mm-hmm. You need to be part of a, a, a community, especially for our community, the martial arts community. Right. If we want to help elevate it or we're just going to watch it. Yeah. And I'm here to elevate it. But, but my hope is to help the industry become something that it isn't yet. That's why I'm in the industry, not because the industry is perfect and we're going to duplicate it. Our, our community, as a martial arts community, what can we do differently? How can we evolve? There's a lot of gurus. I'm going to say that with quotation marks mm-hmm. because there's a lot, a lot of people who are thinking that we must follow them. And if we don't, then we're, we don't know anything and we're at a loss. And I think it's, it's not about following a guru. It's about following our own passion and getting better and, and doing more for what we believe to be right. Yeah, I, I, I think just by being it, mm. you know, I, I don't wake up and go, how do I fix the industry? How do I get these people to do things? I don't think yeah. any of that. I yeah, go, me neither. <laughs> I, I, I want to make an impact in the students that I'm training. And it's it, the, the way that I'm going to show the martial arts community that martial arts is a personal development course is by doing things like what I did with that girl who was suicidal. Mm-hmm. And in two lessons, now she's like ready to become a business owner. That's a massive transformation. I, if more and more of those success stories, people are going to be like, whoa, what's he doing? You know, and then that, that's how you change it. You change it from within. You change it inside yourself and the world follows suit. When we go, and you've been to some of these martial arts shows and events? Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. And what is your take on them, if you don't mind me asking? I, I love them. Oh, well, so do I. I, I so do I. Yeah. I, I, I love getting together with other people in the industry. and. Uh, you know, matter of fact, this, this weekend, I'm actually speaking at a health and wellness industry conference where it's uh, chiropractors and massage therapists and nutrition and yoga and martial arts and everybody else. Right. And it's not just our industry that has those egos. Mm-hmm. It's every industry. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But there's also, like you said, there's also those people that are real genuine people that want to help, that want to connect, that want to. So when I go to those, I just look for those people. I ignore the, the, the ego people and I just move on and find the people that I really want to connect with. And, you know, there's so many friends that I've had in the martial arts uh, throughout the years. And, you know, so many people, because they're all across the country, we don't connect as much as we would like to. And that's why I love going to those events, because I see all these people that helped me develop as a professional. I love going to the shows, by the way. You know, I, I love the Maya show. Yep. Because it's, it's so big, and you get to meet so many different people. And, and we have so many diff- different presenters that are, are doing these things. And, and you can select what you want to see. And sometimes, you know, it's like you're having two speakers at the same time. You're like, oh, I want to see them both. You know, right. so it's, it's kind of cool. And then you have to act, you know, you have to make a decision, which, you know, I can't split myself. And I, and I love those shows because you're right. It's, it's connecting with like-minded people. Mm-hmm. And we have to realize that not, we, we can't connect with everybody, but we can connect with like-minded people. And hopefully we're all on the same page. When it comes to building the martial arts industry, I think that you are absolutely 100% on that. You have to do what you have to do for yourself and your, your members and your clients and your community and build it up from there. And then people are going to see the difference, what you're bringing forth, how you're doing it. And they're going to look, wow, what is that guy doing differently than this uh, business is doing? Right. Why are they giving so much more to the community? What are they doing? 
How are they changing the community? And, and, and it's just going to show. I agree 100%. What is your next step as, as a martial arts owner or, or business? My, my, my book is coming out. Nice. Uh, and that's called Emotional Self-Defense. There's martial arts mindsets in it, but it's not a martial arts book. It's, it's literally, okay, I'm going through a tough time. How do I shift my mindset? Want to encourage everybody to read it. That's why I'm giving it away for free on the 26th. So if they go to oh my goodness, masteryofpositivethinking.com, just click the book tab so they can get it. They'll be able to have access to those lessons. If you are a martial artist, there's lessons in there that you could use for your training. If you are a business owner, there's lessons there you can use for your business. If you're a parent, there's a lesson. There's lessons in there that you could use to become a better parent. It's just about becoming stronger, more resilient in life so that when you go through hard times, you know, that the, a lot of times with business, people will watch a YouTube video or watch one of these experts and they'll go, wow, that's really cool that he did this. I'm going to do what he did and I'm going to get that same result and it's going to be awesome and it's going to be fast and it's going to be easy. I call it the feather bed approach. Okay. If you take that feather bed approach, that it's going to be fast and it's going to be easy. The littlest amount of resistance is going to break you. Mm-hmm. But in martial arts, you don't take that approach. You take the champion approach, which means I'm going to teach you how to block a straight and a hook and an uppercut and a roundhouse kick and a front kick and a headlock and a chokehold. And I'm going to teach you how to do all of this stuff. Now in the real fight, you might only have to face two or three of those problems, but you're prepared for anything. Right. You know, that's what I was trying to do with the book. Mm-hmm. Give everybody a bunch of tools so that they're prepared for whatever life is going to hit them with, whether it be a financial situation that they've got to overcome, a health issue that they have to overcome, or any other thing that people deal with on a daily basis. There's a mindset shift that will help them. Right. So what's that website again? Masteryofpositivethinking.com. Beautiful. And so I think that every martial arts member should instructors should get it and then they should forward that as an email to their students because you know that that would help so many people and and thank you really appreciate you doing that i mean everybody should be happy to to go there and and click on it i just want to be clear it it is a book for adult level personal development this is not you know for, for kids. the kids right. I would say 16 and up should be reading this book. I, I use real language, meaning how do people actually think when they're going through trauma? Mm. So, you know, this isn't for the seven and eight-year-old crowd, just right. so that they're aware. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Scott, thank you so much for today. This has been a lot of fun. And, and I love our connection, and I hope we stay connected for a very long time. You know, you're always welcome at my school anytime you're in New York. Uh, I'd love that. I'm in the Northeast a lot. I'd love to come down there and do a workshop with you, sir. This was an honor. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. All right, buddy. Thank you so much. You have a great one. See you later. Yeah, absolutely. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I ask that you please leave me an honest review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. I'm trying to keep this episode free of advertisements. Anything you can donate to the cause is greatly appreciated. To donate, go to paypal.me backslash Thank you and I really appreciate your help.